Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and love. hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we exist to join god's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching the scripture from this morning is from numbers 21 verses 4b through 9. but the people became impatient on the way the people spoke against god and against moses why have you brought us up out of egypt to die in the wilderness For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze, put it upon a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. The word of the Lord. I love that this is a community that was laughing in response to that passage. We're gonna have a great time this morning Um, because let's be honest. Everybody it probably like, well, maybe we even make this a courageous all play. What do you do when you come across a passage like that in scripture? Like if you're reading at home and you start reading about a fiery serpent. What? <laughs> okay, a shrug. What the? <laughs> probably skip it. These are the kind of passages that we do that to. What the heck are we supposed to do with a passage about fiery serpents? And then Jesus does this really annoying thing in John 3 and talks to Nicodemus about this passage. So if we think that, oh, this is just some ancient thing that's not relevant for us, Jesus pulls it back in, which, by the way, I, uh, is a good reminder in general about the Hebrew scriptures is that sometimes we want to say they don't matter anymore. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the New Testament. But the New Testament is very often telling us and reminding us of the story that came before and how what's happening there fits into the story that came before. And that pushes us to dig into the story that came before, even if it's about fiery serpents biting people. So um, it helps to give a little context for the book of Numbers as a whole because this is also probably why we skip this passage is because how often do we read the Bible and think, you know what I want to read today? Numbers. Um, The book of Numbers is named based on the Septuagint, 
Uh, all, of, all of the Hebrew scriptures in our Bible are actually named from the titles in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. And then Hebrew names for these books are actually helpful. So Genesis is not the name of the first book of the Bible in Hebrew. It's Bereshit. Bereshit means in beginning. So the name of the first book of the Bible is in beginning. The name of this book of the Bible is Bar, which is in the wilderness. The book of Numbers is primarily the story of the people in the wilderness. So if we want to know what happens to them on their journey, we got to open up the book of Numbers and check it out. If this message inspires you to go open the book of Numbers and check it out, something that is helpful to know are Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 20, because those mark really important changes in the timeline. So in Numbers 13, that is when the scouts go to check out the promised land, and they come back and they tell the people, hey, there's giants. And the people are like, hey, then let's not go. And God's like, okay, then you can stay here for 40 years and the next generation can go. Numbers 20 is when Miriam dies. And that marks the death of that first generation. And from Numbers 20 onward, it is the story of the second generation of the people in the wilderness. And if we are in the second generation, this is my first all play. This is a little bit of a Bible trivial pursuit, so no shame if you don't know this answer. <laughs> but if we are in the second generation of the people of the wilderness, what does that tell us it is almost time for? Passover, Passover yes, but not where they are. That's your hint. Louder, Rexanne? It is almost time to cross over into the promised land. One of our first acts of crossing over into the promised land will be doing Passover in the promised land. That's Joshua 5 instead of in the wilderness. It is almost time to cross over into the promised land if we were after Numbers 20. So if you are this generation of people that has been raised in the wilderness and you know it is almost time for you to go into a land that is flowing with milk and honey, that has pomegranates and dates and figs, and you are eating manna for the add up 40 years of manna into days. You are eating manna again. How do you feel about that manna? It's like dust in my mouth. Did you just come up with that language or was that in here? That's so miserable, nice word, nice language, dust in my mouth. Anyway, I don't know, that feels like tough to compete with. Manna is like dust in my mouth after that much time. Any other thoughts about what it would be like? Let's just not try to compete with dust in my mouth. That's pretty good. In this, in this numbers passage, they say we're done with this miserable food. Like it's, we're just done with manna. We're ready for something more. So we're in this state as the next generation of being ready for something more. We are ready to leave the wilderness. We are ready to eat better food. We are ready to move on. And then in Numbers 20, uh, we asked for passage through the land of Edom. So where we are, we're at Kadesh and Mount Hor, which is, I don't know how to like draw a map with my hands, but it's in the wilderness. And we're, what we need to do is we need to go south of the Dead Sea, and then we're going to go up to the east of the Dead Sea, and we're going to cross that Jordan River into the Promised Land. 
So when we think about crossing into the promised land, they're crossing from east to west. They're not crossing from south to north. So they are currently south, and they have to get to the east. And in Numbers 20, they asked the kingdom of Eden, hey, Edom, sorry, that's an important difference, Edom, E-D-O-M, can we pass through? And they said, no. And the people of Israel said, are you sure? Like, we'll just stay on the highway. We won't go through any of your fields. Like, we're going to stay. And the people said, no, you can't cross. And because the Edomites are descendants of Esau and God didn't want them to go to war with them, that meant that they now have to avoid Edom. So they are south of the promised land in the wilderness. And instead of just cutting through Edom to head up straight east to get to that crossover point and eat some pomegranates after this dust in my mouth, they have to go all the way down to the Red Sea and all the way back up on the east side of Edom in order to get to that crossover point. So if you are on that journey south, going away from the place that everything in your body wants to go towards, how do you feel? Grouchy. Grouchy. <laughs> oh. What was that? Annoyed. Annoyed. Frustrated. Hopeless. Resentful against who? Why do I still have to be doing this? And Will, you said against the Edomites, who else might I be resentful towards and frustrated towards and annoyed with? My ancestors? My, yes, like we, we just named a bunch of things at once. Yes, I heard my ancestors. I heard God. I heard, did I hear something else? The ones who denied passage. I, there are so many things to be annoyed by in this moment in time if I am this next generation. Why did the generation before me fail to cross the first time? Why isn't there another way besides going around this land? Why did those people deny me passage? And why, if this is the God that we said did plagues that released us from Egypt, why is this God not doing more to help us get to that crossover point? I'm annoyed, I'm frustrated, I'm grumpy. What on earth, God, are you doing? And so, in verse 5 of Numbers 21, they speak against God, and they speak against Moses. And then, the Lord, the living presence, sends fiery serpents in response to that speaking against. What rises up in you when you hear... We have just put ourselves in the place of these people and how they might feel and why they might be grumpy and speaking against God and Moses. And then we hear that God responds by sending snakes. This is a pretty bold all play, but how does that make you feel about God? Grouchy. Grouchy. <laughs> Oh, maybe it feels, uns I'm going to add the word unsafe. Like, I can't be myself. I'm not allowed to be real and issue this complaint. Anything else? Yeah. Um, it kind of correlates to today where the more you lose hope, the more God is 
who, okay, so this is sort of diving into some possibilities of why might God send this, of what if it's the, the more that we are losing hope, the more God is challenging us to hang on to what matters. That might take us to another sort of Bible trivial pursuit kind of question, which is, where have we seen snakes before in the biblical narrative? When we are in the book of Numbers, we only have a few books that have come before. We have Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. And we have seen snakes at at least two significant spots in the story that has come before. In the garden, probably one of the most infamous snakes in the Bible, Genesis 3. Anybody know the other one? The plagues that comes up after the... Um, uh, when Moses goes back into Egypt, the snake turns into a staff that eats the other snakes of the staffs of the Egyptian leaders. Anybody know another one? It's a little bit before that point that John mentioned. When Moses is talking to God about going back to Egypt to free the people, and he's sort of questioning, yeah, I see you, Kristen, doing that motion. Yes, he throws his staff down, and it becomes a snake, and he has to pick it back up. So if we are an ancient person, and we're in this circumstance, or we're reading this story, one of the things we might ask is, are there any common themes to when the snakes show up? Is there a message in the snakes that might help us hold on to something when we are losing hope and grumpy? will right for it they they happen around or near transition points in the ancient near east they do not view we often so uh anybody who uh when you think of the snake of genesis 3 who is the snake in our modern minds satan it's the devil uh, P.S., another study for another time, it never says in Genesis 3 that the serpent is the devil or a devil figure. Um, but that is what the story has become. So we then tend to see all snakes as evil. In the ancient world, snakes were seen as a symbol of transition and rebirth. Because what do snakes do? They shed their skin. People see snakes shedding their skin and having new skin, and so these snakes that shed their skin and have new skin keep showing up at transition points of the narrative. What are transitions in our lives? Let's make that into a question. What, how would you define what makes a transition different from another time? Big changes. Okay, we're facing some version of an unknown. Right, we're, and we're part of that facing the unknown is we're leaving known to go towards something unknown. What does that kind of moment create if we're leaving something unknown to go towards something, or sorry, if we're leaving something known to go towards something unknown, what is anxiety, discomfort, doubt, fear? So what's the invitation? I feel a tension between saying like press on and like being back. <laughs> 
Well, and so maybe we just say that of what's the invi- what am I going to do with that fear, doubt, anxiety? Transitions make us face, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to press in? Are we going to pull back? Are we going to ignore it? Are we going to ask about it? We were faced with this moment of what are we going to do? So here in this narrative, when the people are grouchy and angry and anxious and afraid, what do they choose to do with that? It depends on the person. As a community in this particular narrative that was read for us, or you can look in it, what do they do with it in verse uh, 5? They complain to who? Each other and to God and to Moses. This is actually a significant difference between Numbers 21 and Genesis 3. When the woman in the garden is faced with the uncertainty of, is this garden really the place that God said it was? Who does the woman talk to? The serpent. Who could the woman talk to? God. It's the garden. God is right there. God is walking through the garden a few verses later. God, where do we take that anxiety, that fear, that grouchiness, that uncertainty in transition moments? is one of the invitations that serpents offer to us in the narrative. Where are we taking it? What are we doing with it? These feelings are quite human. We got into them really quick. We know how it would feel. We're not ancient people. We're not traveling the wilderness, but we can put ourselves in their shoes. We can get a sense of how this would feel. What are we going to do with those feelings? But then we've got to wrestle with what Roxanne brought to us. This narrative makes me feel pretty unsafe if what God does in response to the feelings is send snakes. Except verse 9. What happens? This is like where the narrative goes that we might got to do a deeper reading to. What am I being given in verse 9? A way to save myself. How do I save myself? How do we save ourselves? By looking up at what? The serpent, which is a symbol of transition, which is also what? from God, and it's scary. Why is it scary? (laughs) And it's the thing that bit me. The thing that bit me, that caused me this pain, is the thing that I look at in order to be healed. Why? Okay, face my fears. To what? I'm sorry, say that again. To welcome growth. 
why doesn't God just get rid of the serpents? Why is the path that I'm looking at the thing that bit me, because by the way, it keeps biting me. Verse 9, so Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at it and live, which sort of implies what about the serpents? They stay! God does not respond by getting rid of the serpents. God responds by putting an image of healing to look at when you are bit by a serpent. Why do you think that is? Why doesn't God just get rid of the serpents? Okay, maybe they need to be reminded of that transition point. Learn how to deal with these fears, these anxieties, this grumpiness, all of those things that we listed about these kind of points in time. Okay, maybe this is something that helps us to become stronger when faced with adversity, which is sort of an interesting one when we then think in the modern world, where do we see snakes on a pole in the modern world? Medicine. This is the symbol on the back of an ambulance. This is the symbol of doctors is a snake on a pole. Maybe there is something in looking at that that helps you find strength in adversity as it's a part of the symbol of healing in medicine. Say more about that, Linda. We're still forced to trust God then instead of ourselves. Okay, if snakes are a symbol of resurrection and rebirth, if snakes just go away, I'm probably just going to go back to grumbling about the manna. If the snakes are here, if they stay, it is reorienting my gaze towards something else, towards some level of trust, towards some level of hope for healing in the midst of my bitterness and frustration and fear and grumpiness. Okay, Pam just said the kind of thing that like, we don't like to say out loud, but we kind of know it's true. <laughs> Can you say it again, and then I'll repeat it for those on, on the video. If God just solved all of our problems, then we wouldn't be creative, innovative problem solvers in our own right. We would just be looking for somebody else to keep fixing everything. So what I want to wonder together with us is whether the serpents are not a consequence. Whether the serpents are not punishment from God about the grumbling. Or whether we could view them as something else. So if God hadn't sent serpents and hadn't sent this pole to look at for healing, this whole journey we're talking about, and if God had just responded to the grumbling by saying, I will give you food. Sure, you're sick of manna. I'll go ahead and give you some pomegranates right now. Get your taste a little bit. You know, pomegranates are coming. I'll just give it to you a month early. Go ahead and have some pomegranates since you're sick of manna. 
what would that do to us individually and communally? communally? Okay, maybe it, would, maybe it would create a certain greediness of, I want what I want now, when I want it, just give it to me, God. You're my vending machine. What else might it do? Yeah, say more about that. Okay, we sometimes we feel like God is being frustrating when our prayers aren't getting answered, which is totally human, and we should, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being frustrated in that moment, but there's a way that if we always get what we ask for, it's teaching us that that's how we interact with God. I push this button, you give me this in response, which is not a relationship. We're not learning how to wrestle. We're not learning how to co-create and be a part of our own problem solving. We're not learning how to handle this transition differently than just asking God to fix it and save us and change it. It becomes transactional. And so what if God is providing them the gift of a physical experience to help them see how to wrestle? to help them see how to look for healing, how to deal with pain and frustration, how to do that differently than just push the button of the vending machine and ask God to fix it. What if learning to do that kind of wrestling is something they have to learn before they can cross over into the promised land? Because if I treat God as a vending machine, and now I get to a place with milk and honey and pomegranates and figs, and it's no longer the struggle it was in the wilderness, how am I going to tend to live? Gorge. I did this the other day. I, I had a, one of those days where I couldn't, I didn't eat lunch or dinner. I didn't eat nothing. I just like couldn't quite find the time, so it was like snacking and grabbing stuff. And I didn't eat dinner until a Chipotle bowl at 8.30 p.m. Any guesses how I responded to that Chipotle bowl? <laughs> I had such an upset stomach because I, I, I ate more than I actually had room for because I was such in this place of like, gimme, 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 gimme. So if we live in, if we transition into that place we've been longing to go for years and years and years, and then we have this mindset of gimme, 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 what happens to that place? It gets ravaged. Say more about that, Will. Well, just like if you, if you think, uh, if you see it all as like a, this transactional thing, you're much more likely to, instead of stewarding it, you're much more likely to take advantage <sighs> If we see what we are given as a transactional thing, we are more likely to ravage it instead of steward it. So one of the ways to see these snakes at transition points in Scripture is not that they're a sign that we're where we don't belong, but they're a sign that we are where we are supposed to be. That they are an invitation to transition well into a new mindset that can receive what's coming with the right posture.
And so for us, I would then ask, what transitions are you facing? Individually, communally, you might be facing a few transitions communally. And what invitation might these snakes and serpents be offering us? What do we do when we get bit? Where do we look? How do we learn to hold the story by looking up at that pole instead of looking down at the serpent? Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.